0: mm <laughs> That's chirpybirdinc.com. Hi there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. Today, we bring you Eileen Achacoso, who has been a nurse for a very long time, practicing in New York City. She's also on the board of the New York State Hymns Chapter, representing their nursing committee. We spoke with Eileen while we were in the state during the Hit the Trails journey and the timing of our conversation was just after the weekend where the city officially opened back up after COVID. In this conversation, Eileen shares what it was like to work in the hotbed of the pandemic at its worst. And I'm not gonna lie, it gets a little emotional. It made me even more grateful for the caregivers on the front line and their commitment to public health. So let's take a listen. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Joy Rios. I am joined by Cherise Maynard, and today our guest is Eileen Achaekoso. Eileen, would you mind taking a moment to share with us and our listeners a little bit about yourself? I'd love to know more about what you do, your piece of the health IT puzzle, as we like to call it, or just what's the space you live in in the healthcare ecosystem?
1: Well, let me just preface by saying that I am a nurse. And I've been a nurse for a very, very long time. And one of the reasons why I became a nurse was to help patients. So through my lifetime, I've gone from different areas of nursing. But one of the things is that as IT became more prevalent in healthcare, I realized that I wanted to get involved and I wanted to participate because very often in the beginning, people would say, don't worry about it, we'll take care of it for you. And they would take care of the applications, make the decisions for us. Meanwhile, we're taking care of the patients. And then we always had applications that made us do more steps, like 25 more steps than the original five steps. And if we could cut those five steps with technology down to two steps, you could make, have more time with your patient. So I have been in IT for about 20, 22 years. I am currently, I was working at New York Health and Hospital in their IT department, and I'm working for New York State Hims chapter, part of the national, and I'm on their board. And I'm representing nurses because I'm also the chair on their nursing committee. Having said that, not every chapter has a nursing committee. We started a nursing committee about seven or eight years ago after trying to push it into the chapter because there are so many nurses. And I think it's been wonderful since because we provide area or a venue for nurses across New York State to talk to each other to find out what are they doing with specific issues, problems or technologies, especially after this pandemic. We have met several times through meetings, through conferences, just through New York State hymns to be able to share what are we doing, what were the problems, and how did we overcome them? And of course, you know, nurses were on the front line and there were a lot of issues. But one of the good things is is that, just in reflection, we were forced to make changes that made it better for patients and nurses. Changes that normally took months and maybe years took days and weeks. And the end result was, you know, better for patients and for caregivers. So I, you know, this has been a remarkable time this last year, if we look at it from that perspective. And I'm on the board of directors, and as a nurse, we really try to provide information to our nurse members. So that's a little bit about in my current role as a working, I am a manager, I'll say, a manager in IT, and we do applications. When I say applications, we work on healthcare technology applications that providers, nurses, physicians use, and also patients use. So I've been in that kind of role as an analyst and also as a manager for over the last 22 years across the United States not just in New York but I started out in Silicon Valley I worked with national companies some very big national companies but came to New York to work in healthcare in a hospital setting to help specifically nurses so that's basically in a nutshell.
0: Thank you for that. So I want to know what were some of the challenges that you just spoke about that you came together as nurses and, you know, something that might have taken a really long time to figure out was able to be handled or addressed in a short period
1: of time. Can you give us an example or two? Sure. So one of the things I will say that taking care of patients with COVID and having to gown and put all of the mask and everything on to protect us, to isolate the patients in rooms by themselves and to cut down on taking everything off when you come out, clean up, then you go to the next room, put everything on to protect yourself and the patient, takes a lot of time. And then if a patient needs something normally, You run from one end of the hall to the other end of the hall, but you don't have to put on all this garb and go in to find out one thing, then come out, take care of it, and then come back in to help your patient. So one of the things that they did was be able to provide a way to speak to patients, either through an iPad or they put cameras in the rooms. Every hospital did something different where they used uh, some type of telecommunication so that you didn't have to go into the room every single time, but you could find out how your patient was doing. You could talk to them outside the room to determine if you needed to go in immediately or what is your plan of action? What care do you need to give that patient so that if it's something that can wait, you could take care of the patient down the hole that you were going to, or you could also look at, there was a way that you could monitor how they were doing, like looking at their vital signs, at their EKG, not having to go into the room, but looking at a monitor outside to be able to see what was happening. That was one thing. The other thing is, the that from an IT perspective, we in New York City brought in, I mean, for health and hospital, I think we brought in somewhere between five and 7,000 nurses from other states. And if they came in at 10 o'clock at night, ready to work the next day, we had to be working round the clock in IT to be able to give them access, to make sure that they were in the system and then to make sure that there was someone who could provide the initial, this is how you get on, this is what you do, this is where you write, this is the documentation that you're required to do. And all of that had to be done very quickly. So a lot of IT was used in terms of that. Also in terms of moving patients, we had incredible nurses that could, I mean, it's part of their work normally, but to be able to assess The patient who was getting better, in order to move them to a less critical bed, so they can move a more critical person in, and that could mean more than just putting them on a med search floor, but it might mean putting them in another type of service or health care provider service, like it could be another hospital, it might be a hotel that we don't want to just put them out in the street. We want to be able to watch them for a little bit, but they're well enough to leave. But maybe they have no type of rehab area uh, hospital that we could send them to and these nurses could review those charts so quickly and look at them and know this patient could definitely go here there or whatever and use the IT to help them do that.
0: So it sounds like and at least with your first example there was perhaps an investment in equipment an actual like IT monitors or things that would allow you to keep track of the patients, like an infusion of just actual different types of, I'm sure, software, but also hardware throughout the hospital. Right.
1: At the bedside, there were applications and equipment that nurses had to learn how to use very quickly, or we had to alter, you know, equipment that they have in order to support how they were taking care of the patients. So it's a lot of, and a lot, came from the nurses who would would complain and say, this is really hard what we're doing. Can't we do something like this or like that? And then they would try to work with um, vendors came to support, to try and provide equipment that would help the nurses better. From an IT perspective, there were applications that they were using. And then again, from the IT department, trying to help to get all these people onboarded and ways to document what was happening. We also helped in terms of New York State, in terms of if somebody came in with A positive COVID. Where did they come from? Where did they get it from? You know, who were the people that they contacted? So they had tracers, which was like a whole new thing we never did before. But New York State Department of Health and New York City Health and Hospitals came together and actually did some incredible work to try and track and trace where these people came from so that they could see who else could be affected?
0: Is all of that equipment and those applications, are they still in place? And is it something that is now getting, you know, perhaps a, a better benefit or different benefit than you would have anticipated even a year ago?
1: Yes. Well, in public health, they have always needed a way that they could track patients, you know, so this is really good for them. For us, in terms of health care, one of the things is being able to talk to patients just like we are now, like in Zoom, instead of coming into the hospital, we don't know, maybe they're afraid and they're not quite sure what is wrong, but we could talk to them first before they come in. And if they were going home, we could also talk to them in a video conference to see you know, how they are doing, instead of having them to come back in. For a lot of people who are, let's say, They may have difficulties you know to be able to drive in or to take a bus in and then when you're sick or not feeling quite well yet to have to do that i've experienced that as a patient during the pandemic where i needed to see a doctor and they said no no visits in the office but if you want the doctor can see you you know on a facetime or whatever application that they were using and I could talk to the doctor and she could say, Well, show me exactly where that is. And, well, you know what? I think that what we can do is this, you know, give you a prescription. Or now that I'm seeing it, I think we're going to have to get an MRI. So that kind of thing. So, I mean, and this is something that I've wanted for a long time. You know, when you go to the doctor and they say, Okay, well, I'm going to have to send you to X-ray and then come back and send you to the lab and then come back. Wouldn't it be great if I could just talk to them and say this is the problem and they say, oh, well, before you come see me, I need to send you for X-ray, send you to lab work, so that when you come, I have all the information in front of me. So, I thought that that was really great. Then. You know, instead of making three trips to the doctor, I met with her on a video conferencing and she said, all right, this is what I want done. And then you'll call me back and we'll go over what the results are. And they are continuing to do that. That's like a whole new thing. Telehealth has become a big thing in terms of post-COVID and post-COVID. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I'm curious, just because you are in New York and New York has been such Hotbed for COVID in general. Years, I feel like, you know, the city and the state's experience is something different than a lot of other folks around the country had. I'm curious to know what is it like as we are in this transition of opening back up. It's not not to say that the pandemic is over, but just as far as the feeling of being in the middle of it and to sort of seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, like. How is that experience for you? How has it been? I've
1: lost a lot of good people, <laughs> people you know personally. And it was so hard in the beginning to see people that needed equipment and didn't have it. And uh, for city hospitals to see the iniquities, you know, the, the people waiting on lines, it, it was just very hard. It's kind of funny because At HIMSS National, we had a a nursing meeting to talk about it. And the same thing, once you start talking about it and kind of reliving it, it, it is very emotional. But I have to say that we have come a long way. I'm so proud to be a nurse. I'm so proud of all the caregivers on the front line. You know, not just here in New York, but across the board. And for nurses, And for caregivers not to say, well, I'm gonna take care of this one, but I'm not taking care of that one, or I don't want to go in, you know, to be able to do that. And then for hospitals to do things to try and make it easier for nurses, for people in the community to bring, you know, things like food, you know, thank yous, any way to say thank you, because it was it was really hard. I mean, people were working double shifts. But having vendors come to the table, administration come to the table, being able to bring more caregivers, you know, in the beginning, New York State was the worst and other states were okay. And to have those people come in, unfortunately, when the other states got bad and we were still trying to maintain, you know, you couldn't send nurses over to them. It was just bad all over. But obviously with the vaccine, that's been... Exceptional for the states, and especially when the government, state, and cities are promoting and helping the patients and caregivers to get the vaccine. You know, the number of cases dropping down to next to nothing is wonderful. I don't understand why, in some states, that same kind of attention to people, you know, people on the front lines, people who have to work are not provided with the same benefits. I don't understand that.
0: One thing that I think about, and I think it would be helpful just to know because I feel like somebody who doesn't work in a hospital setting or medical setting, I just feel like, what can I do? What is it that I, what can I do other other than stay put and not be part, like make this situation worse, right? Like i doing my part. Is there anything that you can think of, of like, how can we support you? How can we support the healthcare workers and nurses and doctors and people in our life, because you guys have taken on this huge burden and it's it's yeah. above and beyond what I think you were, knew what you were getting into, yeah. I get, yeah.
1: yeah. It's almost like going, you weren't expecting it, but there was all of a sudden a World War Three, and everybody just had to go and do whatever they had to do. But I think, like I said, in New York where the number of cases is down to minimal, But I think that we have to continue to talk about it. You know, there is a lie out there. There is a a lie where people think that this COVID never really existed, that it's imaginary, that it doesn't affect them, you know. And it's important, I think, that to get into conversations with people, not to argue that you have to get it, but to say, I got it because... You know, and I think it's really important that people get it. I mean, just looking at the numbers, you can't, I don't understand how people can say that this isn't happening.
0: I think it became something that was beyond what people could actually imagine. Like the numbers were so big. It was literally beyond people's imagination. And if you think like I can't imagine it or picture it, then it must not be real. And
1: if it doesn't happen to you personally mm -hmm. or someone that you know, I mean, I was here in New York. I know it was terrible. I could see the lines. We were working our tail butts off. But when somebody you know goes into the hospital at one o'clock in the morning and dies four hours later, this is when it hits home. You know, when people that you know, family members die, that's when you realize this is real. But I totally agree with you. If you are fortunate enough not to have to go to work, you're not an essential worker, or your family members aren't essential workers or healthcare workers, and you're able to work from home and not have to go out there and not have to subject yourself. You may think that, you know what, this really isn't bad. I'm getting paid. I'm working at home. I don't have to go to work. This isn't such I can order food and have it brought in. It's really different if you don't have a job because you're a waitress or a cook or working, doing any of the essential work and then not get paid, not have money, not be able, I mean, being kicked out of your home, not being able to buy food. I mean, these are essentials for living. So if it affects you or you actually see it affecting people or you hear it or you see it, then it's real. I totally agree with you. Thank you for um, sharing your emotions with us and being so open about. We have lost a lot of experience. A colleague I worked with, a doctor who actually took this pandemic, except what you're going through. I have a question about nursing in general. Most nurses, we've seen, well, it's our that we're going to have lost 36% of our nurse course as a result of this. And we were already facing this nursing shortage. What are your ideas for changing the trajectory that we're on? Because if we were having a shortage before, we're definitely facing a huge problem the next year or so. So how would you say we could tackle the idea of or the issue of bringing nurses back to the field and recruiting new nurses to the field? Yes. So a lot of nurses are retiring, you know, because they're already of the age to retire and this has been enough, you know. In a lot of places, I think that although we are trying to provide the n- what nurses need, and this is great, but I think that in all hospitals, there's a lot of bureaucracy. And nurses, caregivers, physicians have to deal with it. And things don't normally get changed overnight. But with a lot of people leaving, a lot of nurses who have died you know, from COVID, we really have to reach out to young people, people who are going to school, and people who may have a passion after this last year to want to help other people. I think that there will have to be changes in administration, in hospitals, in terms of being able I mean, look at it now. In places where they only paid minimum wage and they weren't getting anybody, they've had to up the wage. They've had to provide incentives for people to come in. So I think there are things that we've taken off the table for nurses because just we couldn't afford it. So I think they're going to have to look at how to work smarter in hospitals and be able to sort of like in Congress. We don't want to spend trillions of dollars, but it's going to cost us triple that not to spend the money. So they're going to have to look at ways that they're going to be able to spend money to make it better, to take care of patients, to provide enough caregivers so that you're not burning out nurses, and to provide them with the tools that they need, you know, so that this way they can spend the time with the patients, be able to give the care that they need to give and not come away burnt. I can tell you many a time when you worked overtime because there wasn't enough staffing and your patients were very sick, you came home thinking, did I do that? Did I take care of that? Was that done? Did I have enough? And you didn't have the time that you wanted to spend with patients, which is why you got into profession in the first place. Using technology to support nurses, different, whatever it is that will make it easier. Definitely better workflows. Like I said, you know, in the beginning, way back when I can remember, somebody else would say, We'll take care of the nurses. They don't need to give any input. We know what they need. And instead of taking five steps, now we're doing 25 steps. To do the same thing, that's ridiculous. So, we definitely have to have nursing input in terms of what it is that they need, not just, you know, we're at the top, we're management, we know. You have to include them and look at the workflow of what they're doing. So, and that's only, that's probably only just the top of it, just the very tip of it. There's a lot more that has to be done. And we won't know until we actually bring nurses in and have that communication, that conversation. And then not just the conversation, but actually try it. And in hospitals where they have money, it's easy to do. But in city hospitals where you don't have the money, go into a city hospital and see how hard they work and what they have. And then go into a private hospital where it's great. You know, you need that, not a problem. We're going to give it to you. We're going to buy a hundred of them. It's not the same. And we see patients in city hospital where we don't turn anyone away. And that's why the city hospitals like Elmhurst, they were the epicenter. That's where everybody went.
0: So I imagine your perspective on perhaps everything has changed over the course of this, I don't know, year, year and a half. Is there, is there something that when you think about how you want to see the, the world, like the change you would like to see, the normal, like that, not that we want to go back to, but the normal that we want to create, is there anything that comes to mind uh, that's just glaring for you of like, we can do better and
1: this is how it you know, could be? Well, I think that we have to spend more money in public health. We have to help people, you know, being in the hospital is not the answer. You know, there's a lot of things that can be done out of the hospital, which we try to do, but then people have to go home. If you don't have a home to go to and you don't have money, what's more important, buying those medications and taking them or eating and finding a place to live? So that's one thing. Educating people, you know, how, on how to do health better. Is number one, I think. I think nurses, when I think of myself and my cohorts, taking care of ourselves and for our organizations to support us to take care of ourselves, I think is a step in the right direction. You know, I think alternative therapies, I think taking care of ourselves with mindfulness, taking a moment to breathe, not, you can't have lunch. We have too many patients. You need to just keep working. And by the way, you need to do the next shift also. I think burning people out is not the way because they get stressed and they get sick. And now they become part of the sick population instead of the healthy population. I just think that meditation, alternative therapies like Reiki are, and in fact, that's actually I am making a change over the next year to go into that type of work. I'm very interested in going into education, not right now, but it's something I'm I'm looking towards to educate people, to find a way where I can educate people to be, take better care of their health before they get into the hospital, take better care of their health so that they're not stressed out where that stress takes a toll on their health. And now they're looking for acute care. I really think we have to take care of each other, and not just people who can afford it. I think this is something that needs to be provided for people who can't afford it, because those are the people who end up in the hospital and draining because they don't have insurance. They don't have, you know, it's a vicious cycle. We need to take care of people before they get into the hospital and when they get out, make sure that they're that they're able to take care of themselves.
0: Well, so when you think about self-care, is it the meditation? Is it mindfulness? Is it teaching children, you know, how
1: to meditate? I think I think that's an excellent idea. I think it starts in the schools. I think it starts with our children and with the parents. When I was younger, I used to work in uh, women's health and I used to do prenatal classes. And patients who did prenatal classes, did the breathing, did everything so that they could know what to do, did much better, you know, when they came in to have a baby. And then a lot of those people went to you know, a lot of hospitals offered mommy me classes. So this is my first baby. I stayed in the hospital for two days, I go home, my mother's across the country, I have no one to help me, but they have mommy me classes where you have somebody who sort of like helps to guide you and maybe you have five or six mothers who come in with their babies and they find out this isn't just what happens to them, it happens to everybody. So education is, I think, really important and supporting them to be able to to take care of themselves better. I mean, that's just one example. And when hospitals spend the money, not charging the patients, but spend the money for like prenatal education and afterwards how to take care of your babies. You have babies who are healthier, mothers who are healthier. That's just one example. Not all hospitals do that because they just don't have the money. Well, we have to find a way to provide. And I think for all the money that we pay in taxes, we have to look at how our taxes are spent and allot some of that money, just like they're trying to do down. But I think infrastructure includes health and caring for our people to stay healthy. It's so
0: interesting because it's such a bigger conversation. Like when you get into, you know, what is ailing our population, that it's not necessarily, you know, kept nice and neatly within the healthcare system. It does you know, expand into education and infrastructure and how, what our culture is, what is it that we value as a society and how do we, you know, spend our money and efforts, you know, to take care of our people. And it's a conversation, Sharice, and I have often, which is, you know, how do you How do you incentivize people to care more than just themselves, but for their communities? You know, and it's a big conversation. You know, it's not it's not any there's not an easy answer. And you think of like, okay, how do we all work together to get to that goal? But then you realize how many people need to come to the table to agree on what the goal is. And that seems to be where we have some issues. (laughs) That's putting it lightly.
1: (laughs) I think um, in a lot of communities, they're doing this grassroots and I think that's where it's successful because they're not dependent on big organizations, administrations where you know, there's so much bureaucracy that you have to go through. And then you raise a million dollars, but 80% of it goes to paying for everything that you did, you know, all the bureaucratic paperwork, everything. So in the community, I mean, there's a lot of people who work in the community that just are not not so much they're not recognized, but they don't have the funding that they need. And especially in communities where their people are poor and they depend on local healthcare community, you know, services. And I'm not just talking about, you know, poor people, but I'm talking about people across the board, just to be able to have access, everyone should have access, regardless of their age you know, their sex, their religious beliefs, their personal beliefs, whether they're poor, whether, I mean, I learned for the first time about, now I forget the word, but people will come and work in farms and just to pick the the vegetables, you know, maybe in Southern California, they may come from Mexico, migrant workers, Okay, I never knew there were migrant workers in healthcare. I only just found that out recently. You know, people come from other countries through agencies because these agencies know that we need nurses, healthcare, you know, providers, and they have no contracts. Some of them they have no health care. Then they come over here. Then all of a sudden, they don't need them. They're stranded. They're looking for ways that they can work, and they depend on community to help them. I yeah, this is something that I want to get involved in, learn more about, and see how I can help. It's because big. It is. It's very big. I mean, I mean, and it's at home,
0: but it's everywhere. You know, and we've had some really rich conversations as part of this journey that we're on, and. A lot of the conclusions, if you can call them that, that we come to is just like community involvement and making sure that, you know, we are our, our brothers and sisters keeper. And how do we get people access to the resources and care that they need before they get, you know, they're in a position that they need to go to the emergency room. And then it's bigger than that, like mental health, physical health. How do you make sure that people have a sense of belonging? You know that they resources are are provided in a language that they actually understand.
1: Like it's complicated. So the focus shouldn't be on acute care, Mm -hmm. already sick. It should be out in the community. Mm -hmm. You know, and how we help people so that they don't wind up in the hospital and to maintain their health, to take care of their health, to take care of each other. It's a whole different perspective.
0: Yeah, it is. Well, Eileen, I really want to thank you for your time today. And thank you for sharing and thank you for opening up. Honestly, I know that this is, it's been hard for everyone, but like your work on the front lines and the work that you're doing to organize nurses and making sure their voices are heard, especially considering the very intense experience you guys have is incredibly valuable. So I want to make sure that our listeners have an opportunity to say thank you if they wanted to get in touch with you, whether it's through social media or LinkedIn, what would be the best way for them to do so?
1: Well, I am on LinkedIn, so they could get in touch with me that way. And I can send you an email for the next place that I'll be where I can can even provide them with information on taking better care of themselves. So that might be good. I will send you information. Okay. If you send me that to
0: me, I will make sure that it gets into the show notes. And so when this episode goes live, it will be a resource that people can access. Yes. Again, thank you for your time. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle Hit Like a Girl Pod. Thanks again. See you soon. Hit Like a Girl Podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission driven which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com.